The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge and join for as little as $5 per month to help support our show or become a, two, a tier two member to receive access to a wealth of information, including our 2023 returning production database and its 133 team pages packed with stats and designed to indicate which players have come and gone following the 2022 season. Thank you to our listeners who have become Patreon supporters by signing up at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Welcome back, everybody, at CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner-proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter machine. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about some returning production and talking about a little bit of spring football that has already happened. But, Nick, how's it going? We're uh, peak Offseason? Am I allowed to call it the offseason? No. I think you accosted me <laughs> no. last time I called it. So the pre preseason there we go. is what we're in right now because we will have spring games. But uh, how, how have you been enjoying the little bit of spring that we've had so far? And, you know, uh, we're, we're about midway there uh, back to the season, I guess, or not even midway. But uh, how are things going for you right now? Well, so so spring specifically is is uh, uh, a word that I struggle with a little bit right now. The snow has just started to melt uh, <laughs> here in Vermont. There's still quite a bit of it out there, uh, so it shares. hasn't really felt like spring to me. But but yeah, it was spring practice, and and uh, I mean we had our first you know Power Five team wrap up and have their spring game last week, and you know half dozen or so. Uh, FBS team so far have, have uh, started and, and finished. So it's definitely well underway. I think just about everybody has at least started. Maybe there are a handful that, uh, you know, get going closer to April 1st. But uh, for the most part, the vast majority of the country is definitely uh, up and running. And, and on the one hand, I feel like I've said this every year, say it, you know, at different points throughout the season off season preseason uh on the one hand very very excited it's good that we're you know getting college football things college football news thinking about it but on the other hand kind of wanted to slow down a little bit because uh <laughs> feeling uh very behind schedule when it comes to getting the team profiles up and running uh that's that's uh, stressing me out just a little bit so i you know i wouldn't hate it if uh, if things slowed down just a touch, so we can you know make up some some uh, lost time on that. But then on the other hand, you know I, I'm definitely ready for spring, ready for some warmer weather for sure. But also uh, getting closer to the season. Yeah, yeah, rocking and rolling, and we've had some stuff uh, you know going on. We had uh, the tournament is still going on in March Madness, and the WBC just wrapped up. Opening day for baseball. It's just around the corner. So there's some non-football stuff going on that's fun. Uh, Xavier, how is uh, how is the off-season of, uh, excuse me, the preseason of being a dad uh, being for you right now? Are you oh. exhausted? Are you sick? Are you tired? Uh, All of the above? Is it 
no. There are no days off for being a father. Uh, so right. there is no off season for this. Um, <laughs> even when we don't have her, there's no days off. Yeah, um, of course. So, I mean, it's been cool. Um, I'm just, you know, I think college football right now for me sometimes gets lost in all the shuffle of everything that's going on. Uh, not only that, but obviously, Scott, you, you and I are both big draft guys. And right now we're in the throes of you, the, the, the you know, the underwear contest, a.k.a. pro days and the combine. Mm -hmm. And so right now, unbelievable know, numbers from everyone. Everyone's great at their pro day. The pro days uh, all the guys that ran bad at uh, the combine are now running excellent numbers excellent. at the pro days. I, yeah. Oh, have oh. You guys, sorry to interrupt. Have you guys yeah. heard this thing? Because Ohio State had theirs today, mm -hmm. right? right? So. Everybody in the NFL was in Columbus, Ohio. Yep. Uh, have you guys heard that Ohio State's track is downhill? Like that's mm -hmm. something I had never heard this before. I, and I no saw idea. it a lot today because yeah. we were like, oh yeah, ja you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba ran a fast uh, four five three. So that's really like you know high four fives because that track is down. I, I didn't know. Is that. it downhill after the train explosion? I don't understand. Like, uh, <laughs> it, it, how can you have a track that's downhill? That doesn't make any sense, even, right? Even when you, well, I think it's funny because you you can, in certain ways, you can, let's put it this way, you can make sure that your players run faster. Let's just put it that way. Uh, whether that's a faster track, you change your turf, you make sure that the turf is a little bit different in certain spots that allow more grip. So better start versus a better finish. You can do a lot of things. You can do a ton of things. That's you why know, the pro day is completely useless. And when opinion. I wrote off pro days was when JJ Ortega Whiteside ran like a four four. I was like, okay, well, oh, oh. did you hear? I'll the crazy never one trust. Uh, no, what was it? What was John Tucker ran a four three three? Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 I also weigh one seventy five. <laughs> Just so you guys, uh, well, then on the on the other side of things, you guys see uh, two days ago USC, it was like puddles all over the field, yeah. just messy. Everybody's just super slow. So yeah, and the some, indoor some facility wasn't set you up. Big, the indoor facility <laughs> wasn't big enough to host it, so like they couldn't do all. So they had to do like some of the things inside and had to do as much of the things outside as they could before the rain got worse. And I was just like, as a and California is having a tough go with that weather recently. Yeah, they were. Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. That's why so many people live in California. It's beautiful 99% of the time. But the last couple of months, they've been hit pretty hard with rain and snow and stuff. So Yeah, they are going Yeesh. through it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, all right, you guys ready to to dive in and, and talk some spring? Or what else is going on, Nick? Well, so I, I have had a thought and uh, haven't uh gotten too deep into it maybe this is maybe this is weird maybe this is just a, a you know an only me thing but you guys know i have limited interests i mean sure. yeah sure. i i don't <laughs> watch a whole lot of uh other sports um i do you know expose myself to to other ideas and and so maybe this is where it's coming from a little bit whether it's you know podcasts about uh, non-sports related things or other sports that come in uh, to the conversation sometimes or, you know, TV shows or books or whatever. Um, but I've gotten myself into uh, a couple of podcasts uh, again, that have been some of my favorites that get me a little bit out of my comfort zone. One is my, my longtime favorite baseball podcast. One is another like sports analytics uh, podcast that touches on a lot of different sports, uh, some betting podcasts as well. And then of course with the NCAA tournament, 
uh, going last week, um, there was sort of, you know, Ken Pomeroy, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar, but sort of the, the, the top basketball analytics person, um, well regarded his information is used by, uh, the NCAA tournament selection committee. Um, you see his stuff referenced all the time. Uh, but anyway, he, he's been on a few of these podcasts that, that I've been listening to. Um, and he said something, I think I'd touched on it before in our show, but he was, you know, going through and, and he tweeted this out before, uh, the tournament tipped off and I'm going to quote the, the tweet. Um, said in the 64 team era, there have been 36 teams to enter the tournament as a one or two seed that weren't ranked in the preseason AP poll. They have combined for zero final fours, averaging fewer than two wins per tournament. Good luck to Purdue and Marquette, who apparently fit in that bucket. Uh, Purdue, of course, you know, suffered the biggest upset what in tournament history. Uh, only the second number one seed to, to go down. Marquette's out, right? Um, so. I had this thought, when do you or have you uh, taken in, you know, whatever information, think about it and and then start to apply it to the way you think about college football specifically. So this for me, you know, makes me think about priors. And one of the things that Kim Pomeroy went into in, in uh, at least one of these podcasts was uh, the idea of, you know, to make his projections the best that they could possibly be, he would never take out preseason priors altogether. Um, that there's there is something to it to where if you you have your preseason projections as part of your calculations, that's going to help you do better in the long run at the end of the year in the NCAA tournament, whatever. But he also said, you know, because his stuff now is is used by the NCAA and I've heard other you know college football people uh talking about you know they want only this year's data in their stuff so uh, I don't want to get too deep in the, the weeds <laughs> and, and all this stuff but you know it, it struck me I'd heard some other things in the past it, it makes me think about how we structure our projections preseason versus in season. And, and, you know, we do take uh, the, the projections, the preseason stuff and, and, you know, wait it less and less over the course of the year. But I just wondered, you know, have you listened to a, a baseball podcast or a, you know, watching an NBA game or, or whatever it is, or, or, you know, I had an idea earlier today. There's a, a podcast I listen to that's about writing. It's one of my favorites. And, and I have, you know, it makes me think about something college football related when they're talking about some magazine story in the New Yorker or whatever. So maybe this only happens to me, but I don't know. <laughs> just curious. No, I, I, I've got, no, I've got you. You're not alone here, Nick. You are not alone. Um, as people probably know, the Oscars just happened over the last two weeks. Um, and I think, and I was listening to a podcast uh, called the big, big picture podcast. Um, I genuinely feel like I know my girlfriend with this podcast because both people on it are pretty monotone. Uh, but they were talking about how the Oscars, a lot of the times, movies that happen early in the year don't get the same kind of love that movies happen later in the year or even in the middle or in the summer, right? Because um, they talked about Creed Three in particular coming out now and if it could carry the momentum all the way into the Oscar season next year. 
Like and if you're going to drop a game in college football, you better do it early so people forget about it. Right, right. Xavier? Yeah. Exactly. And it, and it brought me right to the point of an argument that has been that was had a lot last year about Alabama. Um, and when they had, and when Alabama typically has their losses when they don't go undefeated. And every time I and when, when I looked it up, Alabama always suffers a loss either weeks five, six or seven. And it's just early enough for them to go on a four game run against Mississippi State, Auburn and like the Citadel beat every team by 30. And by the last and by, you know, the, the last week of the season, have an argument to be the four seed in the college football playoff. And it got me to thinking, how many times has a team had an early season loss that people just didn't care about? One of the teams in particular that, that came to mind was Ohio State when they lost to Oregon uh, early in the year, a couple of years ago, that people just were like, doesn't matter. That team's not the team that we have now. Um, another one that came to mind personally, then this is before the college football, the college football playoff era, was when Georgia lost to Boise State um, and rattled off a, a ton of wins and obviously lost in the SEC championship game to Alabama that year. Uh, that was the year, I believe, that they went on to play Notre Dame in the national championship game. It also got me thinking, is what teams can afford those losses? Because I feel like it's different for every program. Yes, 100%. Um, I, I feel like a, a Bama or a Georgia can afford that loss. but Well, they can because they're going to play a harder schedule. Right. You know? But what also got me thinking was if a Utah had a loss, uh, not this past year, but the, I think two years ago, USC had a loss to Utah pretty early on in the year. I think it was week three or week four. And I remember being in several conversations with people that they were like, well, USC lost to Utah. And I'm like, that was week four. And Utah's probably going to win the Pac-12 this year. So are we still carrying it the same weight if this was Georgia losing to Tennessee in week five or not? And I think that it, I think it, you know, it goes hand in hand kind of with the Oscars conversation is who can afford, what programs come to mind can afford? I genuinely think if Alabama lost to Texas in week two and rattled off the rest of the season, they would have made the playoff. Just have it out. They would have, they would have absolutely made the playoff last year and nobody would have had a, had a conversation about it. And I even think that they would have used Texas barely losing to an undefeated TCU at the time to bolster the argument for Alabama. So it got me thinking of what, in their case, movies, but in our case, teams can afford early losses that seem to never impact their college football playoff resume or conversation. Uh, it's yeah, that's a great thought. Yeah. To, I did not expect have. Oscars. So, but hey, <laughs> yeah. that's, that, that's, that's cool. You know, that, that's what, uh, that, that's interesting to me because I do have, you know, this one thing that I pour a lot of my time and energy into. So I kind of like relate everything to it. And so, yeah, I didn't know if that was just me or, or what. It, it's interesting though. You talk about like who can, what programs can avoid it. And I actually, uh, today while I was working, had on, uh, for a bit, a replay of the, uh, the peach bowl, right. The, the Georgia and Ohio state. And by the way, I still I watched it out of the corner of my eye earlier today. Still I still have Georgia no idea won. how yeah. Georgia won. <laughs> still have no idea how Georgia won that hey, game. Hey. <laughs> but you know, Ohio State they had the the loss at the very end of the season, and so uh, obviously they were able, they were in a position where they were still able to to overcome that. But um, just yeah, I, I agree because well, you know, Alabama had those. In- that, that also ties into the prior uh, thing that you were talking about, uh, like, you know, ranking these teams in the beginning of the season and really knowing where they stand 
going in and it's important because you know how big of a loss that is or how, you know, um, Oregon losing to Ohio State. It's like, okay, well, Ohio State's one of the best teams in the country by a wide margin. So you shouldn't be ashamed of losing to that team. Now, getting murdered by that team is different, which is what happened in that game. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point uh, as to where, you know, and who who do you think can overcome those early losses? It's only like the pedigree power five yeah. schools, right? That's it, right, Nick? It's just the tippy, tippy top. Uh, of it's Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, uh, you know, USC, uh, Florida, Florida State, Auburn. You know, it, it's the tippy top pedigree teams, uh, Oklahoma, Texas, AM. You know, those are the schools that can lose early and still survive it if they finish off well. And most of that is because the schedule for those top teams is going to be tough still. Yeah. And, and to sort of come back full circle with the college basketball thing, part of that is the preseason rankings. I mean, the teams like Ohio state are, are going to be top five, top three teams. And so, you know, when they lose, they don't drop as far uh, as somebody who was, you know, fringe top 10 uh, who, if they lose would get, you know, into the twenties or maybe fall out uh, of the uh, rankings, depending on what kind of loss and to who and, and what have you. So um, there is definitely a, you know, a bit where uh, schools of a certain reputation, but also when you're prior uh, coming into the season is, oh, this was a preseason top five team. You know, they just had a bad day, but it's still one of the most talented teams. It's still, uh, you know, so well coached, whatever. Um, they're not, you know, not going to drop as far they're going to be able to, to make that ground back up, uh, you know, as long as they take care of business from there on out. I always think, um, you know, whenever I watch March madness and all that stuff, I always think of why isn't it bigger in college football? And I, I know it's going to expand eventually, but I mean, this could have been done so much quicker, uh, so much longer ago that we could have had a bigger tournament and, just all the excuses that people gave it to not be bigger, you know, Oh, well, it takes off from uh, the regular season. No, it doesn't makes more games important because more teams can get into the playoff. Oh, well, we can't do this long break during winter and, you know, over the holiday season. And okay, well, it's like eight teams or four teams that are doing it. And it's not going to be, you know, the 64 team field like it is in, in college basketball who are all in the middle of the sp- uh, spring break too you know so like uh, oh well the kids have to go through testing it's like okay well you know kids go through testing all the time and they're okay so like there's so many built-in excuses to not expand it when expanding it would just be better for the sport and make the all the teams more money just didn't make a lot of sense to me i know football is a brutal sport you don't want to you know add too many games especially to guys that aren't getting paid but they are getting paid now so you can pay them a little bit more to play some of these games you can use some of that tv money to give them money so that's what i always think of with march madness you know translating into college football could, you, could, you, could, you could always make more money and, and make it better and, and make it more epic than it is and it's already epic so and, 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 I, and i said this when it happened this year i said tulane versus usc would have been a first round matchup Wouldn't and look great happened. Yeah, look what happened. I mean, imagine the magnitude of that game having national championship ramifications next to it. Now, granted, obviously, that might have meant a different level of seriousness, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But ultimately, I think 
you have you 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 as, as much as you have upsets in basketball, you would have upsets in football. I don't care what anybody says. Of course, any, any given Saturday exists. You see it all season long, and yes, for some reason, everybody comes to this full on conclusion that there would just never be upsets in college football. And I'm just like, how do you come to that, that conclusion when we just watched an Iowa team that couldn't move the ball 15 yards against Marshall? Yeah, you by know, the way, didn't we see TCU beat Michigan? Like, that's enough. Yeah, sure, they got smoked in the national championship, but they got there. Right. You know what I mean? There's so a team that, that wasn't supposed to be in there at all. Pretty, I mean, ran ran Michigan out of the, the room the first half. Just be honest. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I, every year I watch March Madness for basketball, I'm like, if we could just get – I'm not saying we get to 64 football teams. That no, be, that's absurd. That's, yeah, that's too much. Yeah. But if we can get to a, a genuine number that we can sit on, maybe it's eight. That 12 we or 16 that, it's 12 is like 16. as big as you can do. Right. Yeah. Cool. Like the NFL has what is it sixteen? Is it it's fourteen? Fourteen now. So if if we get if we get the fourteen, I'm cool. I, we we could chill with that. But to think that we're not gonna have any upsets ever, just it's, it's a terrible comment. It's it's asinine. It's so short sighted. And yeah, we may still have the same teams in the national title game. You still have a lot of the same teams in the national title game for basketball as well. Yeah, none of that matters. The rate, the ratings for the doesn't first- make the rest of the tournament not yeah. fun because yeah, the same exactly. teams get there. It's still fun, right? So and the ratings know. reflected. So there yeah. goes the whole money argument, too, guys. Boom. It, exactly, exactly. So that that's what I think of. You know, with looking at other sports. Also, another thing that has popped into my head is you know, I mean, just so many commercials. Uh, I guess I, I'm probably noticing commercials more now because. You know, uh, like everything else, like everybody else, I stream a lot of stuff now, so I'm not seeing as many commercials. So then when I go back to live sports, I'm like, oh, God, all these commercials. I think of let's just throw an extra, you know, let's just throw an extra advertisement on the uniform and cut 10 minutes of this out. Yes. You know what I mean, like, Please. Uh, I don't want them out there looking like NASCAR drivers, uh, you know, with uh, every single person that gives you five dollars. You got to wear their patch on your uniform or whatever. Um, I mean, that worked for CFU Winning Edge. If they want to do that, we, we right, can right, get, right. Uh, yeah, wear, a patch on somebody's all. jersey. Yeah. That's yeah, why we're on somewhere. Patreon, fellas. That's and right. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Other than my, other than my ads. That... <laughs> yeah. Other than the Nick ads. Absolutely. But okay. yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, let's cut the commercials down a little bit, keep the pace of the game flowing a little better, especially the bigger nationally televised games. If we had, you know, but I mean that's a slippery slope, and I know people. No, 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 it's like not that, though, so. Nick. I I'm glad you brought that up, brought that up, Nick. You also watch soccer like myself. Do you ever feel that when you go back to watching now American sports, the game slows down because of the ads? Well, Versus I mean, when you watch, soccer, you can't have ads in soccer. Clock you, doesn't stop. Yeah, but right. they do. But really also, they. Uh, I mean. They have ads uh, everywhere. All on their yeah, it's fly the Emirates. uniforms. Yeah, everywhere. right. Well, and and like, uh, this is a total tangent, but uh, <laughs> like if I'm playing FIFA or something, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't be a team in the Norwegian league. Those uniforms, they're just like they're just 27 shouting. ads all yeah. over their uniforms. <laughs> That's horrible. I can't, I can't do that. Uh, but so when I was watching the the replay of the uh, Georgia and Ohio State game. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was, you know, it was one of those situations where it's like, all right, and we're back, and here's the kickoff, and then go to commercial. And That's and yeah, the one so. that drives me the most crazy is come back from commercial for the kickoff, do the kickoff, they kneel it, then they go back to commercial before right. the first play. That one drives me nuts. Like, yeah. it, that's the first one to go. 
if we, if we put one more ad on a Jersey outside of just the Nike logo or whatever, and you've seen it in the NBA has started and uh, mm-hmm. baseball is starting to do new rules to make the games quicker. But I mean, watch a Korean league baseball game and look at the outfield. I mean, it looks like a poster board in, in you know, downtown somewhere. So uh, yeah, uh, I I'm fine with make the stadium busy, make the jerseys busy and uh, shorten the commercials. So I don't want to see them. So uh, but you know, know. <laughs> this is what happens when you get us on tangents, Nick. So uh, we'll yeah. we'll see. Uh, but but yeah, anything else on, on this, or should we talk about some spring ball? I think let's let's get into uh, a little spring news. Let's get into spring ball. All right, Missouri was the first Power Five program to conclude its spring last week, with the Tigers moving their scheduled spring game indoors due to weather concerns. Mizzou joined Hawaii, Bowling Green, New Mexico, Georgia State. Among the FBS teams have already played a spring game. San Diego State and Tulane has spring games scheduled this week, with BYU set for March 31st. Uh, With Brady Cook out due to injury, Sam Horn and Miami transfer Jake Garcia took the majority of the snaps, with Horn a surprise to some earning the bulk. So uh, tell us about Missouri and uh, your thoughts on uh, Garcia getting the bulk here or Horn. Well, so yeah, Horn somewhat, somewhat surprisingly. And, and Brady cook, I think is, is definitely still very much in the mix heading into to fall camp. Uh, the, unfortunately the, the fact that they had to move it into uh, you know, indoors and it wasn't open to the public, as it would have been had they uh, been able to hold it in the stadium. So, you know, just see some reports, weren't able to, to get a, you know, SEC network uh, replay or, or what have you. Um, but it sounds like both quarterbacks were a little bit shaky, which, you know, probably not uh, too surprising. Horn also plays baseball at Mizzou, has uh, been dealing a little bit with uh, an injury that he suffered as a, a pitcher um on the the baseball team this year jake garcia is in his first uh spring after transferring in from miami they've also got a new offensive coordinator in kirby moore um so it's not surprising that that you know both guys were a little bit shaky um but it sounded like neither really um you know took the reins and and seems like they are head and shoulders the the you know person to beat heading into the fall. It sounds like uh, Brady Cook, who, who sat out all of um, spring because of an injury suffered at the end of last year, uh, you know, isn't going to necessarily lose this job just because somebody outplayed him in the spring. So we'll see how that how that all shakes out. Xavier, so you get a chance to watch any of Missouri or any other uh, spring practices yet? I mean, I, I had to watch Missouri uh, because both of those guys, I have an actual connection with both of them played in the state of Georgia. They actually both played for the same football team in the state of Georgia. Uh, Sam Horn played for Collins Hill and then Jay Garcia transferred in from Los Angeles, uh, California to play for Collins Hill the year after Sam left. Uh, so that actually was a little cool connection that was going on there. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Nick's absolutely right. And, and what I could see, obviously I, there were multiple guys wearing knee braces. I was, I was like, okay, what's going on with the medicals here? Uh, but yeah, I don't think anybody really separated themselves. I think ultimately they're still going to go with Brady at the beginning of the year or at the beginning of uh, fall. Definitely. Uh, I just don't think right now, either guy has earned the job, but I mean, right now, what you got to also look at is who's going to earn the second spot uh, because there was some volatility at the quarterback position for Missouri last year. So the backup right now is just as equally important for them. Um, so I'm excited to see how this matures in the fall, especially with Jake 
having an opportunity in the summer to probably get a little bit more rapport with the receiving core and things of that nature after being a transfer in. Uh, both of those guys extremely talented. Uh, maybe Sam's a little bit more athletic, uh, but obviously with the injury hampering him a little bit, um, I, you know, he, he wasn't able to maybe show that as much. Uh, he's still my front runner to be the backup, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jake, with as talented as he is, is able to take that spot come fall. Uh, I mean, we can talk about the quarterbacks all we want. Luther Burden. Is, is, oh, I mean, the, he's an animal. He's a big draw to Missouri, of course, and their yeah. defense uh, uh, played really well in the spring game, right, Nick? Yeah, it sounded like it. Uh, I mean, there there certainly were a lot of great things written and said about Luther Burden. Um, excited, hopefully, you know, we'll get to see him sort of unleashed a little bit more. They did, of course, use him, you know, down by the goal line, short yardage situations uh a, a bit more but excited to see him uh, maybe be you know more of that chess piece swiss army knife moving around and and do some uh unique things to get the football in his hands so excited to see what he looks like uh you know kirby moore coming from fresno state they've had some success there eli drinkwitz who's been the play caller you know, for, for a long, long time. Uh, we'll see how comfortable he is, you know, handling, handing that off uh, to more and, and, you know, how smoothly that goes. If, if uh, he gets a little impatient and, and tries to, you know, take back control at, at some point, but, um, but yeah, the Missouri defense, which was a really, really improved unit last year, uh, and is an experienced unit coming back this year, eight starters uh, coming back. Uh, sounds like they were, again, somewhat unsurprisingly, we hear a lot of times in the spring that, that the defense is ahead of the offense. Um, but it, it does sound like even though Burden was as exciting as he always is, uh, that, that the Mizzou defense really was you know, the, the unit that won the day. Yeah, and they had a suspension in there as well. Chad Bailey, the linebacker, uh, was arrested over the weekend and has been suspended. So he ranked third on the team in tackles and posted eight and a half tackles for loss, two and a half sacks last year. So, uh, you know, not great start uh, on the defense for Chad Bailey. So hopefully um, he can uh, get back to the team quickly. A couple other notes uh, in the spring here. Uh, Texas A&M opened their spring camp and they had Fisher was a little non-committal about who's going to be playing uh, uh, calling plays here because they brought in brought in Petrino. I would assume that it would be Petrino, Nick. Why why wouldn't Jimbo just give him this gig here? <laughs> oh my God! It's it's it's, it's, it's why bring him in if he's not calling <laughs> plays? No, like, but you know what, though, Scott, it, Nick, it, you can go ahead, but it's happening. This is exactly what I figured was going to happen. I, I'll be honest. <laughs> this is a this is an ego. Oh no, not a mess at Texas A and M. That's too bad. Oh, are we shocked between two <laughs> egotistical coaches? Anyways, go mm. ahead, Nick. <laughs> well, I was gonna say it, it seems like a little bit of an unforced error. Um, I would expect, I mean, especially the way that you know Petrino left his uh, FCS head coaching job uh, was going to be the offensive coordinator at UNLV, then gets uh, plucked by Texas A and M. And I would have to assume, and, and other people have said, other people have said this. It's not a, uh, an original idea, but I would have to assume that that he was given assurances, like, "Yes, you are the play caller. I'll leave you alone." I don't know why Jimbo Fisher uh, said this. <laughs> like, I don't think it. Uh, obviously, it, it, it has raised uh, concerns and questions and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, even if he thinks that he might 
you know, take play calling uh, back at some point. Um, seems like he should have just, I don't know. Yeah, you know, we brought in Petrino. He's a great play yeah. caller, offensive mastermind, and excited to see what the team looks like this spring, whatever. It, it just, it's something he didn't have to, didn't have to say. And now we're talking about it, you know, yeah. however many other people. It, it, yeah. Uh, I mean, if I'm Jimbo Fisher, I think I probably would have said, well, we're not doing what we did last year. Uh, that's what we brought yeah, in. Bobby. That, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's why we brought in Bobby uh, for that. I mean, they're not bringing him in, you know, because he has such a great relationship with the media or anything. It's not or like he's, he's going to be, yeah, bringing a lot of kids in. He's in here to call plays. Like, that's the whole reason you bring yeah. in Bobby Petrino. So I'm with you, Nick. It is very strange that he danced around this question. But right? you know what, though? Is it, though, when we're talking about Jimbo? Like, this is a guy who probably feels like he's at the end of his tenure here if it, if it all goes south. And I am I know for a fact. Because here's what's going to happen. This, this, is, this is what I think is going to happen. Jimbo is going to be completely noncommittal about this until the beginning of the year. And if anything goes south on that offense, he will then be completely committal that it's Bobby Petrino's offense. <laughs> Entirely committal that it's Bobby Petrino's offense. And, uh, and somehow the guy who was noncommittal three weeks ago now it's Petrino's system, and we've got to fix some things. Watch. I, I guarantee you this. Because I, I just feel like Jimbo knows and sees the writing on the wall, which is, dude, if you don't get it right this year, we we, we got the money in, in this offseason this year to buy you out. The, the boosters are ready to get you out of here. So you better get it right, or you're gone. This so. is the bag man. He's going to be the guy sitting there holding the bag, is oh, yeah. what you're saying. He's the he's the blame. Uh, you're going to see a Herm Edwards-type uh, – leaving from the team. He's just going to walk into the end zone. He's going to be like, all right, Jimbo, it was nice having you, you know, <laughs> fired yeah. him in the end zone. Oh you, man. You, your flights bad. at seven fifty. I wasn't true. <laughs> it didn't really happen. Sure. Yeah, not, <laughs> not sure. Let's go with that. Nick. Let, let's <laughs> I highly doubt he's fired on the field, but uh, you know, it's not like they walked up to him on the field and said, get your stuff out of the office, but that would have been awesome. Uh, might've said, it, Hey, we're going to meet it. 8 a.m. tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably what it was. They didn't didn't fire him on the field. (laughs) Yeah, they waited. uh, They made him wake up early and come into the office to do it. Uh, So, which is worse. Just fire me on the field, man. Uh, I'll get my stuff and leave. But uh, uh, we also had uh, UTEP transfer Tyron Smith uh, is considering going back to the minors. So that's interesting. Also at Nebraska, new head coach Matt Rule announced some roster changes, a couple of suspensions, most notably top running back Anthony Grant has been suspended. Grant ran for 918 yards and four touchdowns after arriving from Juco in 2022 and appeared likely uh, to benefit a lot from Matt Rule coming in there. So that was a surprise. Uh, We had um, uh, the high-profile debut of the number one pick in the head coach draft here last week. Deion Sanders opened uh, camp at Colorado. Uh, Travis Hunter switching to offense, so that is interesting. And at Notre Dame, Chris Irie is also taking reps at wide receiver. So a uh, little bit of other trickle-down news, little uh, bits and pieces here, Nick. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Tyron Smith was basically, I mean, I think it's it's probably inarguable, UTEP's best offensive player last year. Um, from some of the reports out of El Paso, it sounds like maybe this had been in the works, but that maybe the door wasn't necessarily open for him to come back, which is a a bit surprising to me. I would think if you have an opportunity to get your best player back in a place when it's really, really difficult to win, uh, you'd probably want to make that happen. So uh, curious to see how that 
plays out. Um, I was excited about Anthony Grant coming into this year. Seemed like, uh, you know, been uh, I, I've been we've talked about it a little bit before. Uh, the CFF season is up and running, right? Mocks and, and early best balls. And I'm in uh, the, the champion series, a uh, series of, of uh, 12 best ball drafts. And, and, you know, Anthony Grant was somebody who in the, the early, you know, opening weeks of, of uh, starting to get my mind around thinking about CFF was kind of climbing up uh, my draft board a, a bit into, uh, you know, like a top, 10 top 12 type round uh, running back and, and might've had an opportunity even to, to climb further because it just seems like, you know, some of the things that rule and, and that Nebraska coaching staff are, are saying sounds kind of like a, you know, well, we're going to establish the run type type mindset. So you would think that that would benefit somebody like Anthony Grant, but if he's already in the doghouse, not necessarily a great sign. Doesn't sound like it's a, you know, uh, long-term thing it, it sounds like maybe he might even be back uh relatively soon but um would expect that you know guys while he's not there are going to have an opportunity to uh, state their case and and uh be able to climb up that depth chart a little bit and, and we'll see if grant's able to, to climb his way back in um i did think the colorado note was interesting the way i i read it Hunter is still, you know, going to play both sides and, and kind of always had the expectation he would play both offense and defense. But I guess my my thought coming in, my assumption was he'd be more of a, you know, 80-20 defense to offense type. Um, but sounds like he's actually taking the majority of his – uh, snaps at least in the opening days of, of uh, spring practice on the offensive side of the ball. That's that's kind of interesting. I mean, I personally have not been super high on Colorado. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I'm fascinated. I want to see how it how it goes. Obviously, um, not high on a one win team from last year, Nick. Well, it's that they were bad. <laughs> they were so bad, and I know that it's going to be a different team. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they dug a hole so deep, it, it's really difficult to climb out of in one year. So, you know, there, there are uh, plenty of folks out there who say, oh, yeah, this, this team's going to a bowl game. And they might, you know. Uh, anything can happen, I think, in, in one year in college football now. It's not impossible to, to completely change a program in one year anymore. Uh, but I was relatively pessimistic i was thinking more you know four wins uh would would be a, a a decent you know first season um but oddly enough this one little note which probably doesn't even matter in the in the grand scheme of things but sometimes i don't think enough about things sometimes i think way too much about them this is probably <laughs> more in the second uh category it was like oh well if if travis hunter's gonna be playing more offense and they all, you know, they have these other guys like Jimmy Horn and, and the other transfer from USF. I forget his name right now. Um, they got Shadur Sanders, of course. They've got uh, these other transfers on the offensive line. Maybe maybe this Hunter piece is kind of a like, all right, well, we're going to do whatever we have to do. And we're going to be super creative on offense. We're going to get our best players involved. And so I, I started to, to talk myself into, uh, oh, yeah, this guy is playing both sides for sure, which we knew anyway. Um, 
got me thinking like, okay, well maybe, maybe I can get a little bit more excited. So I'm sure I'll come back around, you know, on, on both sides of it uh, plenty, but before now and, and the time the season kicks off, but I just, I thought that note was, was somewhat interesting. And then at Notre Dame, Chris Tyree, um, they've got a lot of good running backs there and he got, you know, kind of uh, uh, wasn't really able to establish himself last year. Um, thought he had an opportunity to, to maybe emerge as the number one option. I've always liked him. I, I'm a sucker for speed and he is fast. He's, you know, does some good things in the return game, but also is a good receiver out of the backfield. So um, if he's moving to wide receiver, not sure if it's a full-time thing yet or not, but um, seems like a good move for, for both him and, and for Notre Dame. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a pretty strong one. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on uh, the last bit of spring notes that we have here? Yeah, no, I think the Travis Hunter aspect of this was probably always going to happen, especially with them getting Cormani McLean. Um, towards the end of the cycle, uh, bring in a five-star corner, open the doors for Travis to play both ways now, uh, because now they feel he probably feels a little bit more comfortable in his cornerback room, adding, you know, the best cornerback in the country last year, um, you know, in high school, uh, coming in. So I'm not too surprised by the Travis news. Um, obviously he also played 50, 50 in high school. So I'm almost, I'm almost certain that when Dion recruited him to Jackson state, he almost guaranteed him that he would play both. Uh, so I'm not surprised that that's not going to change here. Well, he uh, did, but but he played, and I know he was hurt at the beginning of last yeah. season, as part mm-hmm. of it. But um, yeah, I just I just didn't expect it to be anywhere close to 50-50. I certainly didn't expect him to be yeah. more on offense than defense. But well, I, Travis has always, in my estimation, and obviously I've been I've watched Travis for a pretty long time now. He's always been his his, his best position as receiver, hands down. It's always has been, in my opinion. I think he's an, a great. I think he's a good corner but he's a great receiver um and you can you, you know obviously you can take that as you will but whenever i felt like travis had his most had most of his impact especially on the game it was on the offensive side the kid's just extremely dynamic uh, obviously it helps Shadour out to have a familiar uh, familiar face on the offensive side especially one of travis hunter's ability so i'm not surprised um i, I hope to see him play more receiver this year because I, he i mean some of the grabs that he makes and some of the way that ways that he floats on on the on offense they just would get, you know, obviously you just get downplayed on defense because he just wouldn't have to do it as much. Uh, so I'm hoping to see him play more offense this year. Uh, obviously, I'm hoping he stays healthy so we can see the full Travis Hunter uh, because that kid is a monster. Um, the Matt Rule news is, I'm not going to say expected, but every year a coach comes into a school and you hear about it every single year. A new head coach. Lays the law in, down. Yep. And yeah. wants to lay the law down and like, you know, this isn't your daddy's Nebraska. So, you know, I'm not necessarily too surprised that one of the first things he comes in and does. Yeah, Nebraska is, was good when my dad was. I mean, Tom Osborne was a long time ago, Nick. I was not alive for that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm, and, the, you know, one way to definitely assert yourself as a new head coach is to take your most productive guy from last year and tell him to go sit, at, sit, sit in the dorm room for a couple of days and don't come back. So, I mean, hey, that, that that's if you're going to suspend anybody that deserves it, right, you're definitely going to go after one of the guys who obviously, you know, you're going to make a statement by going after one of the guys who doesn't have or who has had the most production because it sets a, it sets a precedent for everybody else that nobody's above the law. Yeah. No, I, I think uh, that it's, it's what needs to happen at some programs. Like I think you, you come in with an expectation of we're going to be good. There's going to be no issues. And then when there are issues, it's all right, let's nip this in the bud. So uh, that's probably what ended up happening at Nebraska and Matt rule uh, laid the law down. So 
let's talk about some returning production. And this is Nick explained it to me. It's uh, we're going to be talking about returning production um, for we're going to we're not going to look at that specifically. We're going to look at the teams that improved the most or performed the best over expectations, right? And then under expectations and correlate that to returning production, correct? Right. I, I kind of wanted to dig into uh, what we learned from last season. Um, you know, returning production is, is something that, that we do. We have our returning production database, 133 uh, team pages, dozens of categories, see who's coming, who's going. Um, how much, you know, each team brings back, we adjust it for transfers. So you can see like, you know, okay, maybe this team lost a lot of production from last year, but they did actually bring in half a dozen transfers. So that's going to help offset some of those losses. Um, but this is certainly not a new thing. I mean, Bill Connolly has been doing returning production calculations for a decade or more. Um, and has done a lot of research on them and, and has learned some things. And um, so I wasn't necessarily expecting, you know, to, to break any news or, or, you know, find any earth shattering uh, things from this. But I did want to take a look specifically at, at, you know, how our returning production numbers sort of correlated to um, our team performance numbers, which is something we talk about a lot you know, in season, uh, this team ranks fifth in defensive team performance. You know, how did they actually play on the field? This other team ranks, you know, 121st. Like I said, Colorado was so bad. They literally ranked dead last in team performance last year, overall team performance, the the advanced stats that we dig into and, and uh, try to put one, you know, grade basically uh, on a, on a team overall or on offense or on defense or passing on, you know, we, we break it out into different categories, but um, that's what I meant. Like on the field, Colorado was the worst team in college football last year. Um, but we do in the preseason. Um, and this is something you know, we'll talk about a little bit as well. We are only using one season's worth of information here, but you and I have talked off air about how, you know, a three-year average is, is really, uh, a little bit more instructive that gets a little complicated because in 2020, you know, the returning production numbers were very different and, and kind of threw some things off uh, for 2021. And so um, anyway, we do use a three-year weighted average in our team performance projection. So at the beginning of the season, you know, we take a look at the last three years, um, do weight the, the most recent season, you know, give that the biggest uh, weight is the most important. Um, but that goes into part of our you know, projected team performance as well. So I wanted to take a look at, all right, here's how we projected teams coming into 2022. Here's what the actual team performance uh, rating ended, you know, up being at the, at the end of the year, which teams exceeded expectations which teams were the most disappointing and then look back at the, the preseason returning production numbers. So um, real quick, top 15 teams that exceeded our preseason expectations. So what we projected for team performance, you know, they made a, uh, gave us a much higher team performance rating than we thought they would have. 
Illinois. Not super surprising. Not many people expected a whole lot. They out were great. Of Illinois had legitimately uh, the number two defense in the country in our team performance numbers. Very, very good team. Much improved. South Alabama, 10 wins. Kansas became sort of the darling of college football. They were the third, uh, you know, best as far as exceeding expectations. Missouri, who we just talked about, you know, the defense really turned around. They got a lot better. Florida State, believe it or not, number six, Texas, uh, actually exceeded our preseason expectations. Uh, James Madison, Duke, you know, coming out of nowhere, one of the best teams in college football. San Jose State was nine, 10 Ohio, 11 TCU. You know, probably might have expected TCU to be uh, higher on this list, but we were actually a little higher on TCU than a lot of folks coming into the year. Troy, Sunbelt champs. Tulane, Xavier, you know, brought up the uh, game against USC. Uh, so obviously they were, uh, had, had such a great season. Syracuse and Arizona. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's a lot of improvement. So how, how did that correlate uh, to the returning production? So uh, an average team in returning production is, you know, above 60%. Um, usually kind of the, the sort of rule of thumb is in college football, two thirds of your roster turns over year over year. Um so, so finding that these top 15 teams averaged 68.8%, that's not earth shattering. Um, that's a, you know, slightly above average. These 15 teams came into the season with an average returning production ranking of 45. There were some teams at the really high end. Kansas was sixth. Troy was fifth. Uh, you know, top 15 Florida State, top 15 uh, TCU and Syracuse. But there were some really, really surprising teams. Duke had its huge turnaround. They ranked 115th in returning production. Illinois actually wasn't super high. They were 91st. James Madison, 94th. So it's not necessarily, you know, if you're at the top, if you return just about everybody, as, I mean, Xavier, I'll let you, I'll let you say it, right? Uh, <laughs> Old garbage just stinks worse. There you go. So it, it's it's not necessarily a guarantee that if you bring everybody back, you're going to get better. But, you know, the, the teams that do kind of hit that 70% or, or a little bit higher um, on average do get a little bit better. But the more interesting thing to me is, is on the other end. If you are, uh, well, well, let's just take a look at, at who are the most disappointing teams coming into the year. So our, preseason projected team performance these teams uh, failed to meet expectations you know far and away worse than anybody else the the biggest disappointment for us was auburn nevada was was second worst arizona state oklahoma state central michigan coastal carolina louisiana virginia western michigan arkansas texas a&m some folks oh. probably would have thought they would be a little you know more toward the the Extreme, extreme there, but then uh, Hawaii, App State, Iowa State, Miami of Ohio. And, you know, let's get it again. How does it correlate to returning production, these teams that were underperforming? So this one is, I think, more, uh, this is more of a concrete finding. These teams far and away um, were towards the, the very, very low end in returning production. 
these 15 teams averaged 49.7% of their returning production from the previous year. And this is adjusted for transfers. So this does take into account, you know, teams that were able to replenish uh, or fill some holes through the transfer portal. Um, but the vast majority of these teams, the, the, the team on the very high end was App State at just over 60% returning production, which ranked 66th nationally. But, you know, most of these teams are triple digits. Nevada was dead last. Hawaii was second to last. Um, Iowa State was 128. Western Michigan, 125. Arizona State, 119. I mean, so, you know, Auburn, triple digits. Oklahoma State, triple digits. Uh, so the, the, you know, on the, on the top end, there's no guarantee. But if you're on the bottom end, I mean, maybe it's not fully guaranteed that you're going to be much worse. But the odds, it, it seems, are, are uh, far more likely that, you know, if you just have to replace 60% of your roster, um, it's just really, really difficult to uh, do as well, if not better, uh, or, or do as well, and, and certainly even more difficult to, to do better um, when you're having to replace so much. Uh, yeah, Xavier, your thoughts on that? Because sometimes uh, maybe you want to pick through the good parts of the garbage, huh? I mean, sure. You know, that's, you know, the reusable pile, I guess, you know, if you want to compost, if you will. Um, but I, I just when, when you look at a lot of these returning production numbers, I just feel like it doesn't necessarily correlate all the time. I feel like every year they argue this for Alabama. And this surprisingly, this was the first time I think we've had Alabama on this list. Um I want to say so for the, for like the least amount of returning production. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty positive. Well, about that. So, so Alabama is always kind of an interesting case. They, you know, Georgia shows up sometimes on the low right. end, you know, triple digits. It, it makes sense. Those guys are sending players to the league year after year after year, guys mm-hmm. leaving for school early. LSU has been among the, the, you know, teams at this end uh, in the past because they had that string, you know, at the end of the last miles era where, um, they were putting more juniors in the NFL than any other team in the country year after year. Um, so at a certain point, and I think that's kind of to the point of if you're on the, well, so there, there's a certain point where if you're, if you are so talented, you can overcome some of these yeah. things. But if you're a group of five team that, right. that doesn't have, you know, uh, every player on your roster is a four star better you know, uh, on average, um, those are the teams that it, it's really, really difficult to replace those inexperienced team or, you know, those inexperienced, uh, it's really, really difficult to replace your most experienced players, especially mm-hmm. if they've been in a system for a couple of years, what have you, um, you know, with that next round, next man up, it's not going to probably be a four-star top 100 recruit, something like that. So there were some, you know, power five teams, some SEC teams on this disappointing list, but there were, you know, the, the majority are teams that aren't in that elite uh, talent, don't have that elite talent profile. I think what's, I think what's very, what's interesting about what you said, because when I look at the, when I look at most disappointing, obviously Arkansas is on this list as far as, it's it's you know production, but what I also think is interesting is for Arkansas in particular, the the position that they didn't lose was quarterback. However, 
it still was impactful for them last year. Uh, they still didn't reach maybe the, the preseason hype that people thought that they may have. And when you look at it, I think, I think out of all of the teams in most disappointing, they are one of the few that actually lost, that didn't lose their quarterback. Um, Coastal Carolina is another one, uh, but obviously Grayson McCall wasn't healthy. So right. when, when, when I look at most disappointing, one of the biggest factors in returning production typically is quarterback leaving, correct? Um, Absolutely. Quarterback yeah. in, in every in every calculation, team strength, returning production, mm-hmm. it's the biggest piece for sure. Yeah, so it's interesting to see a team like Arkansas on this list, a team like Coastal Carolina here that doesn't that didn't lose their quarterback play, didn't lose their quarterback, but still struggled as mightily as they did last year. Um, you know, and that may be indicative of something we may be even seeing in 2023 when we look at those numbers. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the first thing that kind of came that popped out to me uh, when we're talking about most disappointing. Yeah. And so, so I did also want to take a look at uh, what, what can we learn just from looking at that extreme end of, of the spectrum? So uh, not even taking into account at first, what are the, what are the, uh, the team performance numbers? What, who are the top, how did the top 15 teams in returning production, how did they fare last year? So this time last year, uh, our top 15, or actually this is right at the very end of the, the preseason, so uh, had the, the spring transfers and, and all of that. But Bowling Green was the you know most experienced team in the country. BYU was number two, followed by Southern Miss, Georgia State, Troy, Kansas, UMass, Northern Illinois, Mississippi State, TCU, Stanford, NC State, Syracuse, Old Dominion, Florida State. There were some, obviously, much improved teams, some exceeded expectations teams, but there were some teams that that didn't, right? I mean, Old Dominion took a big step back. Uh, Stanford took a step back. BYU was a, a bit disappointing. But still, on average, those 15 teams saw their team performance rating increase. Not a huge amount. And, and anybody who's familiar with our team performance ratings, it, it's similar to you know that video game rating, right? If you're in the 90s, really good. If you're in the 70s, not so good. Um, so on average, these these teams moved up uh, about three quarters of a point, but they improved their ranking about 15 spots. So like Bowling Green, for instance, you know, we expected that they would be uh, a team. Their team performance numbers were, were going to be in like the 120s. Well, they weren't a great team. They were able to get into a bowl game, but they're still triple digits, right? But they moved up 15 spots. Kansas moved up 63 spots. I mean, that's, you know, half the country. They, yeah. they moved up from triple digits that's into the, you know, 40s, 50s most of the year, um, even higher at some points. Florida State was a late season just surge. They, they finished as a top 10 team in our power ratings, and, and they moved up, you know, almost 60 spots from where we projected their preseason team performance. Uh, but again, on the flip side, I think the more, you know, what we learn most are the teams at that very, very bottom end in returning production. So the bottom 15 teams, uh, we, we mentioned Nevada was the least experienced team in the country, Hawaii, Wyoming, Iowa state, Ball state, Cal, Western Michigan, FIU, West Virginia, Baylor team. A lot of people were really high on top 10 in, in the preseason bowl, right? Well, they were 122nd in returning production. And Georgia Tech, Coastal Carolina, Arizona State, Arkansas State, and WKU. Well, those teams on average saw their returning production rating drop by 
24 spots. So basically a top 25's worth. Uh, and they saw their rating drop you know, more than four and a half points. So that uh, similar to, to what we found when we're looking at the, you know, how did they exceed expectations or, or fail to meet expectations? Um, the, the much more predictive piece of this is on the negative end on the teams that are just, you know, lost so much. Um, Baylor, we were lower on Baylor than just about everybody. There are probably some folks out there who, who should have seen that coming. Right. Um, everybody pretty much saw Hawaii and Nevada coming and, and they just sank like a stone bowl teams in in 2021 to 10 lost teams plus uh, in 2022. Everybody could see that coming. Um, so, you know, again, this is just one year, but, and, and Connolly specifically has done some you know similar research on this over uh, years and years um, and has found, you know, some, some of the, the very same things, but I wanted to take a look at, all right, what we learned a little bit um, from what happened last year. Now let's look at 2023 numbers and who were some of the teams that, you know, no guarantee obviously, but are probably, you know, more likely than not to either improve some, maybe a ton, maybe, you know, just a, just a little bit, but on the other end, who are some teams that really, we, we might see a big, big drop off. All right. With the lead into 2023, nice segue, Nick, let's talk about who has the most and least returning production this year going to 2023. Who's at the top of the list here. Yeah. And, and so if you want to see all 133 teams, see all the, you know, percentage of overall offense, defense, percent added, percent lost, uh, you know, passing, rushing, every category, whatever you want, do check out our returning production database, patreon.com slash CFP Winning Edge, become a tier two member. Uh, but, you know, uh, broadly speaking, the top 15 in our overall adjusted returning production numbers this year, uh, number one is Kansas, number two, South Alabama, Number three, UConn. Number four, FAU. Number five, Florida State, followed by Duke, Toledo, Washington, Missouri, FIU, North Carolina, Texas A&M, Clemson, North Texas, and then number 15 is USC. Those teams average 79.5, so you know, pretty high percentage. Uh, Kansas is, is at 84. Uh, USC is 76.7, and that number actually dropped just a little bit. I ran these numbers before Malcolm Epps. Uh, entered the transfer portal. Not a huge, you know, but they're probably a little closer to 76 than, than 76 and a half. Um, but then on the other, you know, on the flip side, and there's nobody who's quite as low as what Nevada was last year when they were under 25% uh, or Hawaii, they were, you know, 26.7. But our, our least experienced team, lowest in the returning production numbers are East Carolina this year. They're at 36.5%. Ball State, Kent State, Texas State, and there is a there is a note here. When our, when we're adjusting for transfers, uh, these numbers only take into account FBS transfers. For now. okay, yeah. Um, there's just got to get into different weighting for you know 
the, the, the strength of competition, FCS. all that sort yeah. of stuff. It's it's a little bit weird. So a team like Texas State, who was 130th in uh, returning production, if we were just looking at raw stats and snaps, because they brought in a ton of FCS transfers, you know, on the offensive line, they're doing sort of that. You know, they brought in a head coach from uh, Incarnate Word, a lot of Incarnate Word offensive linemen, some other uh, players as well. So that number, they're not the, you know, they've got experience, but they don't have FBS experience. Okay. Uh, so then 129 is Stanford, Charlotte, another team's heavy in transfers, Tulsa, Alabama, as Xavier alluded to, UAB, Western Michigan, Indiana, Utah State, Appalachian State, Wake Forest, Virginia, Bowling Green, and Cincinnati. Those are the uh, I, I believe it's 17. I wanted to do everybody who's under 50%. Uh, so Cincinnati's at 49.93. And then those 17 teams average 44.6% uh, coming into to this season. It's got to be tough to navigate with all the transfers too. Yeah, I mean, it, this is... Uh, <laughs> This is great work you do, Nick, and, and a lot of work. It's what we do. So, you want to see all the transfers in and out. We got them. It's in there. Yep. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and Xavier, what team, positively or negatively, stands out to you out of out of these two groupings here? Kansas, be, first and foremost, because of what they were able to do last year, right? Like that's just a team that Lance Leipold's got had rocking at one point and, and was able to do so, and which I think is extremely important about what they were able to do last year as they were able to do it with backups, right? Like everybody forgets Bean was the backup quarterback. Like they were able to win and, and stay in games competitively with, you know, at some of the more important positions on the field. Um, and so I, I think that's extremely important for them. Um, and one I'm, I'm, I'm prognosticating for this year coming up is both Florida State and Duke. Uh, Duke quietly had a really good year. Uh, I don't think a lot of people gave them enough credit for the year that they did have. I um, mean, obviously Florida, Florida State finished the year off extremely well. And both of these teams have to be in your preseason, you know, top three, top five in, uh, in the ACC just because of the year that they had in 2022. Uh, but especially for Duke, I think because of how quiet of a year that they had uh, in 2022, people are not looking for them come this next season. I mean, they finished third in the Coastal. They finished nine and four, five and three in the conference. Uh, they won their last two games. Uh, and they had, I mean, you know, the Coastal was, you know, kind of up for grabs pretty much the entire year. You know, one other game goes the other way. They po they possibly were going to be in the AC Championship game last year. So I, I love that for them. And I'm really prognosticating for them going forward. But the ACC as a whole is all over this top 15. You've got uh, Florida State at five, Duke at six, uh, North Carolina at 11, and then Clemson at 13. So you've got four and teams. good already. SEC team or a good ACC team. Exactly. Teams that were competitive last year. Um, you know, North Carolina obviously makes the, the conference championship game. Florida State was right there. Clemson had an opportunity. Clemson was there, obviously. Um, you know, I, I, just, I just think that you – the ACC, for all of the shellacking it's gotten over the last couple of seasons as being a uh, uh, maybe an unproven product or, you know, just not as great as maybe it has been in some years – Definitely looks like it's going to be on an uptick this year, and I'm excited to see because uh, I think the ACC gets a lot of uh, it's a lot of crap for for no, for no reason, to be honest with you. I tell you who who stands out for me on the negatives is Stanford because Shaw is leaving, yeah. and, and obviously a lot yeah. of transfers out with him leaving, but also you know it's been a 
just a dumpster fire there since Andrew Luck left. It, it is yeah, not been is. very. It's like yeah, Andrew Luck leave, then Christian McCaffrey uh, was gone, and and it's been nothing at Stanford for a while. And they have players in the NFL, like they they just you know they can't put it together at this program with some good players, which is why yeah. I think Shaw is gone, and why I kept asking Nick every year. I'd be like, is Shaw gone yet? Is Shaw gonna leave? And Nick said he will not get fired. He will. It's more likely he leaves then he gets fired, right. which is exactly what ended what up happening. happening. <laughs> Nick was a hundred percent correct, but I'm, I'm a little worried about Stanford in the transition that it's going to take going to a new head coach and, you know, just having very high academic standards too. It's just tough to put that all together and be successful on the football field. And realistically for Stanford, they, they have, they hold a big key for the PAC 12 going forward. Cause they will be one of the few teams. I think they're the only, will they be the only California team left in the PAC 12? After Cal. both, these, uh, well, Cal, yes, okay, so they they're they're carrying the uh, University of California. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, but Cal was like the Sacramento of the teams. They're, they 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 hold the biggest, you know Sacramento's the capital, but nobody knows that underrated. Uh, people, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, they they hold a, a a big key them in Cal for the you know for the Pac-12 to carry the torch of being the teams in California that carry that market. Uh, so Stanford's kind of got to get it together, and they also have one of the better, you know, one of the better histories of the teams in the Pac-12 as well. Obviously, um, you know, even over during David Shaw's uh, tenure there. So you're right there. I mean, another one of the teams I'm extremely concerned about on this list, um, and Nick tweeted about them a couple of times last year. But Charlotte, I mean, look, Charlotte looks like it's going to have another year where it's just a dumpster fire, and it's just not going to look good. I remember, I remember one of Nick's first tweets last year was I thought Charlotte would be back. I didn't think Charlotte was going to be this bad. <laughs> and I think that uh, we, we can we can maybe um, accept, uh, expect another year like that from Charlotte uh, going into this season. Could be ECU too. I mean, ECU uh, with the lowest amount of returning production is uh, crazy. And it's, it's the lowest by a lot too. It's 36.5 up to 39.4 for second lowest. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, looking you know, like they're in for what, a rough year. four years starting quarterback. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is out. Uh, NFL yeah. running back. Yeah. Multiple, uh, you know, longtime receivers. Chris the Johnson, defense yeah. had a ton of transfer. I mean, East Carolina, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit concerned because it was a, it was sort of a slow build. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they did a really good job. They're hired uh, Houston from James Madison. Right. And, and sort of slowly built it into, uh, a stable, you know, winning program, get to seven wins last year, and then just, boom, you know, now it's it's sort of uh, having to, to start over in some ways. And, and it's it's going to be really, really difficult. Um, they, they did a great, great job of building that program, but we're going to find out real quick if they were actually able to build depth. And, and I know people, I mean, talking about CFF people, uh, there's some excitement for some of the guys who are uh, stepping into those new roles. I mean, Mason Garcia, who's uh, in line to take over starting quarterback, uh, was a pretty highly rated recruit for a group of five school. Uh, Marlon Gunn got some playing time at running back last year as a true freshman, stepped up when uh, you know Keaton Mitchell was was a little bit banged up earlier in the year, and Rajay Harris. Uh, suffered a season-ending injury, so he was able to to get some playing time. Um, so you know there are uh, pieces there you can talk yourself into, like okay, well they're they're you know probably going to be okay, um, but it's just it's really really difficult 
to rebuild, you know, what's the second position, uh, Nick, like we talked about quarterback and quarterback being the most effect, right. uh, uh, mm-hmm. on, on the teams. What is second most? Is there, is it just like offensive or defensive line as a whole? Is it wide receivers? Because you know, they're more important every single year. What, what is the next, uh, probably not, you know, one position or a group of positions. What, what, what's the next that affects the team the most? So actually I, I misspoke. I said something wrong earlier when I said that, that, Oh, obviously pass or, you know, quarterback is, is number one. Uh, it's a big, big piece of it, but uh, receiving yards, actually, if mm-hmm. you're looking at offensive returning production, uh, receiving yards is 37% of our calculation. Uh, passing yards is 29%. Offensive line snaps is 28%. And I know, again, Bill Connolly, who's, who's done a lot of work in this area, he's actually bumped uh, offensive line snaps up quite a bit uh, since last year. Um, his, I think, are now in the maybe close to 40%. So he, he's found more and more correlation in, in offensive line snaps. Um, and then rushing yards are only 6% on the offensive side of the ball. Defensive side of the ball, 59% is tackles. Okay. Uh, 28% are passes defensed. So that's interceptions and pass breakups combined. 8% tackles for loss and 5% pressures. Um, so technically, uh, and we give uh, defense is actually a little bit more um, predictive than offense, believe it or not. Uh, but, uh, you know, so, so, we get pretty close to 50, 50, uh, waiting on those. So I guess technically tackles is the biggest piece, uh, then receiving, then passing. Okay. Interesting. Interesting to hear the breakdown there. Uh, what else, uh, what else do we pull away from returning production or, or what do you expect to happen with these teams, Nick? Well, so, uh, they're, you know, going through, I, I sort of, see how teams especially on the low end you know I'm, I'm pretty low right now on east carolina this is before we have our team profiles and our our full team strength power ratings up um but i'm just sort of guessing as to where things are going worried about east carolina they're not going to rank very high kent state is going to be among the very lowest i mean they they have a shot to be 130, 131, 132, 133 in our power rankings. They just lost a ton from a team that wasn't all that, uh, you know, just didn't rate very high in, in talent um, to begin with, but then lost their quarterback to transfer, receivers to transfer. Um, Stanford might be our lowest rated power five team. I think there's there's definitely a, a chance of that. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things it... it it brings questions to me. So I want to bounce some questions off of you guys um, on both sides. There are some, some kind of interesting things you noted. Xavier noted earlier that Duke is on this, you know, they're on the high side for turning production. They were also one of the teams that exceeded expectations last year. Same for Kansas. I'm curious at a school like that, where, uh, you know, you, you can be competitive, but, how high is the ceiling really? Are we going to continue to see Duke and Kansas, you know, improve? Uh, because they're, they're, you know, among the leaders in returning production, Kansas jumped up 
63 spots from where we expected they would be uh, with right around the same amount of returning production, they're probably not going to jump 63 more spots, right? We're probably not, and and in my expectation, probably not thinking of Kansas as a top 10 team next year. But will they continue to improve? Or, you know, will they be kind of around the same level, you know, get back to a bowl, be, be in the mix, be a, a really, really tough team to beat. Is Duke really a top 25 type team? I mean, they're probably going to get some top 25 love. Uh, both quarterbacks are, are a ton of fun. Jalen Daniels for Kansas, Riley Leonard at Duke. Um, so they've got both of those guys back and, and can build around them, continue to, you know, put together tough teams. But how much better can they actually be this year is sort of the, the first thing that strikes me. Well, I think for uh, Duke, it's probably more difficult than it is for Kansas, right? Because of what Xavier mentioned, like Florida state is right behind them. Clemson's on that list. North Carolina's on that list. Yeah. Like the best teams in the ACC are right, returning a lot of production. Yeah. So it's probably gonna be harder for Duke than it is for Kansas. Cause you don't see, uh, there's not a lot of big 12 teams and I didn't look at the rest of the list. So I don't know. There could be, you know, all the big 12 teams could be 16 through whatever, but, right. but I, they're not in the top 15 mm-hmm. uh, like, like a couple of those big dogs are uh, for the ACC. And, and um, you know, so I think it, it would be easier for Kansas to stay uh, doing what they're doing. I also trust Leopold a little bit more uh, I, than, you know, Duke with the competition getting better in their uh, conference as well. I also think what it will explain though is when the teams especially when you look at scheduling um why these teams will end up five and one six and one you know that far into the season right um i think it's one of those situations where you still are it allows you to answer some of those questions and it allows you to at least gauge where they are by the time it's time for them to play the big dogs uh, so in the case of Kansas, right, you, you look you look at Kansas' football schedule next year, they have an opportunity to really kind of, you know, start off well. And if they can build momentum, then it allows you to kind of prognosticate where they might end up being by the end of the year, right? Like Kansas starts off with Missouri State, uh, Illinois, Nevada, BYU. Okay, cool. Then they go to Texas September 30th. They might be 4-0 going into that matchup, but it gives you kind of an idea of what Kansas may look like going into that game and it it won't surprise you if Kansas is a competent bunch going into that game I think what it does do is it allows you to not be one in in no 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 shot to these guys because you know maybe they might want to hire one of us in the future uh but I think it allows you to answer the questions that ESPN typically poses about these guys like midway through the year they're always like hey how is Kansas seven and two and it's like well you know if you if you we're a Patreon supporter, you know, you would not understand <laughs> their returning production match this. And it's shown in the games that they're able to win, you know, like it, it you know, it allows you to not be necessarily surprised. And from, you know, Scott in, in a betting situation, it definitely may give you some confidence early in the year with these teams. Uh, I think it should anyway, right? If they're able to put also win totals, which is yeah. what CFB winning edge crushes right. every year, right? Exactly. I think it's extremely important for that matter, for that fact as well, because it definitely puts you in a position of knowledge where I know coming into the year, well, that Kansas team that played so well last year, 84% of them are back. Like I can, I can pencil that in. And if they underperform, 
I'll be more surprised because of that fact, right? Um, so I think that's also a, a huge part of it. And it also allows you for like an Alabama, because you know that question is going to come. Why are they struggling? Why do they struggle so much right, at the beginning of the year? Or why are they struggling at all? Well, they only returned 44% of their production. They were one of the worst teams in the, you know, in, in college football in returning production. So yeah, it's taking a little, a little bit, uh, a little while to, you know, get their feet under them. That's why they're only winning games by five or only winning games by a touchdown or whatever, right? Not, not necessarily the more dominating Alabama performances. And it allows you not to overreact for some of the things that you're seeing on, on the screen when, you know, maybe Alabama struggles to win its first SEC game, you know, or, or wins it, you know, just by 10 against, you know, an Arkansas weather where last year Alabama ran away from Arkansas. Okay, well, this is why. There's still a team that's growing and a team that's un- trying to learn itself on the fly. So, yeah. I'm, I'm a little scared to see what our – power rankings our first set of power rankings are <laughs> to see where alabama is yeah yeah because uh, so so returning production the you know quote unquote term returning production doesn't actually factor into our power rankings at all mm. um because our power rankings are built on just the roster the, the roster yeah how do how are the building blocks of the players so it's it's it is but it isn't but mm. you know we don't factor in alabama 44 percent returning production that's not you know, X for sure, of our sure. total calculation. Uh, but, it, you know, it obviously goes hand in hand. I think Alabama is going to be like seventh in our power rankings. I don't think they've ever been uh, that outside low in, in our power rankings. So, uh, all right, couple couple of questions. Not even outside the top five, I don't think. Probably not. Probably. I, I, I really, I don't, I don't. And then, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm over, uh, exaggerating maybe they maybe they are just so talented that they're gonna you know stick in in the top three but i i I think we're gonna be i'm gonna be uncomfortably uh looking at at how low (laughs) seems in our power rankings um all right so we expanded a little bit that first list of names i uh put to you the exceeded expectations the the that group we said they averaged 68 percent almost 69 percent um so give you the full list of teams. We, we talked about the top 15 in returning production this year. There are 42 teams that make, meet that 68 plus percent this year. Uh, so starting with 16, going down to 42, it's Wyoming, UMass, Rice, Utah, Temple, Michigan, Northern Illinois, Sam Houston State, LSU, Auburn, Akron, Wisconsin, Ohio, UTSA, Colorado State, that's 30, Miami of Ohio, Oregon, Syracuse, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, Texas, Michigan State, Vanderbilt, UNLV, New Mexico State, Miami, Iowa. So this group of 42 teams, the the chances are our top 15 teams that are going to exceed our preseason projections for team performance this year are going to come out of this group. A good chunk of them are going to come out of this group. Last year we saw in Illinois, you know, a team that that went from being really bad to making a bowl. Which of these 42 teams do we think has the best shot at being the most improved or the biggest, you know, exceed expectations the most? Who's the team that you just know our, our rankings are not going to be very high on? I think I think it's Auburn. Uh, the Auburn. the teams that you men- mentioned, that was the one that stuck out because I mean they're still an SEC school. They still get big time recruits. They still get big time transfers. So 
that's the one. Maybe it's a little too obvious to be a team that. Yeah, so I'm not sure we're going to be out. that low on Auburn. Okay. I, so, so I I do agree with you. I think they are going to. Uh, I so so this is a a good point to to differentiate. I think Auburn will be among the most improved. I'm not necessarily sure they're going to exceed expectations because I think okay. our expectation. I mean, I think they could, uh, but maybe not by quite the wide of margin because I think their expectations will be a little higher. You threw Iowa out there too, right? Like Iowa's uh, there. Yeah. How could they not improve tremendously on offense? They, they have they, to be better. They better. <laughs> yeah. How could they be worse? Right. Yeah. Didn't they have a game this year that was nine six? The yeah, very first game they, they lost won. to Illinois. The very first game they won with two field goals and two safeties or whatever it was. Like it, it was. Yeah, uh, the, uh, yeah they. Uh, it's like eleven ten or something. It's like one of the first games. It wasn't it the Scorigami or whatever. It was the first mm -hmm. game to end in that score. Yep. So uh, yeah, I mean Iowa is a team that it's like almost no matter what you do on offense, they have to be better. So those were the two that. Out of the ones you ran through the list pretty quick, but out of, oh, out of those seven ones. to three. No, the, so they won seven to three. So not a super That's unique, a, but they two, got seven, two, two safeties, safeties and a field goal. goal. That's what right. it was. One field goal. Yeah. Right. Seven to three. But hey, game, beat the absurd. national champions. FCS. Yes. National champions. Yeah. That yeah, exactly. Um, uh, those are the okay. two that stood out to me. So that might be, it's kind of difficult probably to pick all right, who's going to exceed the most, but I do think Auburn's definitely in that conversation. Is there a TCU in this group? Absolutely mm. not. I'm I gonna, think I'm so. I think TCUs great. are few and far between. A team that didn't go to a bowl game, who then you know, goes to its. Is SEC this where Nick tells us that, its that Matt Rule is going to and, and go to the? the this playoffs. is this is when Nick somehow convinces himself that Miami makes a run of it this year. Nope, nope. I finally <laughs> get up on Miami. Okay, okay, cool. Okay, I think I for now. I think. <laughs> what about Matt Rule? Is it Nebraska? Is Nebraska? No, it's not. Know? No, it's yeah, not. Okay. Who's 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 number 12 in returning production, Scott? Uh, oh, don't you, don't you dare. Number a 12? Oh, a yeah, okay. Yeah, well, right. Yeah, okay. I can't even figure out who's calling plays. Next I think if we're looking for a TCU, well, who was TCU's quarterback? They, well, the guy who started didn't. Sure, sure. You know? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not going to argue against this. I'm going to say that it actually makes sense what you're saying because how bad was A&M's offense last year? Like, and you had good players on this offense and you couldn't get it done. That's the whole reason you bring, you bring Petrino in, which yeah. is why we find it so ridiculous that Jimbo immediately throws him under the bus and Xavier thinks it's because of an ego thing. And if that is the case, you got bigger problems at A&M than just play calling. You got you have a you know Jimbo Fisher problem at that point. So if it does end up like Xavier said, I I can't imagine that it does. That's too obvious and too dumb for even Jimbo uh, to <laughs> do. It, so uh, I I can't, I, dude. I cannot imagine he does that stuff two years in a row. So I mean, uh, let anybody else call plays and you know come into the just the early two thousands of offense would be great instead of running up the middle eight hundred fifty times with a skinny back. Which okay anyway. Uh, now I'm getting on a rant here for. Did like, you find one? Do you find a TCU? No. Wisconsin. Hey, who picked Wisconsin? Mm. Wisconsin. I mean, who picked, I, I, who I picked just, Luke Fickle, huh? I, I just, I just love Fickle that much. Maybe that's really what it is. I love Fickle that much, and now Graham Mertz isn't there, so you, you've got a shot, right? Graham Mertz is no longer the cesspool that he has been at the quarterback position for the last two seasons. 
and you've got a guy in Fickle who, I mean, turned Cincinnati into a college football playoff team. So, look, I've, you know, miracles can happen, but if anything, it's going to be Wisconsin. And I, I think they also have, I won't say the most open opportunity, but when, when you say A&M, I still think about the fact that they've got to go through LSU. They still, regardless of what Alabama doesn't have, it's still Bama, right? Like they've still got all these yeah. places that they've got to go through. And we're not mentioning what, what really has sunk A&M over the last couple of years, which is the losses that they're not supposed to pick up, right? Uh, you know, later in the year where there's just, where they feel like they just kind of give up on the year and they lose and they drop one to a Mississippi state and then they get blown out by Ole Miss. That's really where for me, you know, they, they've struggled, especially to finish seasons uh, not just uh, well like they, they beat in alabama right they right exactly beat last year they beat lsu last year mm-hmm. when lsu was already going to the sec uh championship and they game. would just but then they lose to yeah, yeah whoever <sighs> are you are you going to be an a&m fan this year nick i don't i don't know i, I don't know how much not, of that i can look, look but i can i can you can uh, ramp it up i can guarantee they will be i can't guarantee anything i i, <laughs> I you really think they will be much i can guarantee that I, I will think. expect them to be better. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, I think this is my last question for you. Okay. Is there a Duke, a team that's on the low end? Because Duke was 115th in returning production last year. Brand new coach. First time head coach. Team that doesn't have a high talent profile. Uh, but despite all of that, became one of the most improved, biggest uh, you know, most exceeded expectations team. Is there a Duke among this low, you know, uh, bottom, uh, what is it, 17 in, in returning production, the sub 50% teams? And Duke was at 51.4, so a uh, little, little less. If we want to extend it a little bit more, um, uh, Arizona State it has less returning production than Duke last year. TCU has less returning production than Duke. Houston, Fresno State, Florida, Coastal Carolina, Georgia State are all in that that ballpark. Is there a team among that group? Doesn't have to be Power Five. Doesn't have to be a first time head coach, um, but a, a team that you just look and, and say, excluding Alabama, uh, despite this amount of turnover, they're going to surprise everybody. Arizona State's the one that stands out to me. You get a, a new head coach, sweeping changes in the staff uh, with talent from, uh, you know, a Power 5 school with, uh, you know, a Pac-12 schedule. I, I think that is one that could greatly improve. Are they going to be Duke? I don't know if I'd go out on that limb for them, you know. But uh, I do think that that is an interesting situation that uh, should improve, but, you know, yet to be seen. I for me, I, I think I think Charlotte could be one of these teams. You know, as I've ever mentioned it last year, I was struck by like I thought Charlotte would be better. You know, it seemed like they were starting to build something and then it just sort of all fell apart really quickly. So that was sort of Duke, right? I mean, they under David Cutcliffe, they had gotten incrementally better, had gotten more competitive, were respectable. And then it all kind of crumbled pretty quick. Um, I, I feel like Charlotte, and they've brought in a lot, similar to Arizona State, they've brought in a lot of transfers. Um, they're bringing in, you know, good a good amount of Power 5 transfers, got a new head coach, changing things up a little bit. I think we could see an improved 
Charlotte team. I'm not sure they're going to be, you know, top 10 and exceeded expectations, but, um, but they, they kind of fit the profile a little bit for me. Anybody stand out here for you, Xavier? Well, I feel like it would be unfair to say App State. I think App State has been a, con- a model of consistency for a long time in the Sun Belt, and so it would be a little bit unfair to use them. Um, selfishly, I'd love to use, say UAB, as I obviously took them in the coaches' draft. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm not too terribly off of saying that Wake Forest isn't going to completely bottom out. I, I think what the system that Wake Forest runs, especially offensively, is extremely uh, replicate. You, you can I'm not going to say you can easily replicate it, but you definitely can in, in a lot of ways. I think their running game is not going to fall off a cliff. Um, I actually think they're going to get back to being able to do a lot of what they were able to do in the run game. I think Sam Hartman made them a little bit more of a passing team uh, than they maybe, I won't say would have liked, but they didn't control the games as much as they would have liked last year. Um, I think missing Sam Hartman is obviously going to take a hit, but I also feel like Sam Hartman at times, like I said, became too much of the offense uh, for them last season. And I, I just don't see, I just don't see Wake Forest, a team that has been pretty much in and around the middle of the ACC and right underneath the, that, that tier one, just bottoming out. Um, we, we talked about it earlier. I think the ACC is better this year but not to an extent that like just since Wake Forest into a three and nine season. Uh, I, I still think there's a team that can still make a bowl game, if not, you know, finish seven and five uh, right around there. Uh, the first two teams I mentioned I, with App State, I'm, I'm going to have to see App State bottom out before I ever say App State's going to have a bad year. Like they've had what four coaches in the last decade, five coaches in the last decade and continue to still just trot out teams that win nine games every single year. And it's, it's extremely impressive from them to have that kind of turnover, especially when a lot of the coaches that they bring, brought in are just promotions. They're not, they're not a team that's necessarily uh, gone out and looked for the hottest new coach in the G5 level or, you know, a P5 coach that just couldn't cut it. They like to promote from internally. And that's been extremely impressive from them to continue to do that and continue to win at the level in which they do. So obviously App State is just uh, a team that you have to put on that list. I don't care how much talent they lose. They'll still somehow be, be eight and four and or nine and three, and at the end of the year have an opportunity to, to, to compete for the Sun Belt title. Uh, and then UAB, like I, I mentioned last time, you know, after looking at this returning production with UAB, it makes me it doesn't make me cold feet on my pick for UAB to uh, as a head coach, but uh, it definitely it definitely adds a new caveat for me <laughs> uh, when, when looking at them going into this season. So, but UAB is another one of those teams for me that over the last half a decade since coming back and, and giving their and returning their football program has just, once again, they don't bottom out. They don't win only four games. They continue to make a bowl game. Uh, and once again, I think, again, they will be a team that goes seven and five. It's in a bowl game next year against all the odds, a terrible returning production, a brand new head coach. UAB just continues to find ways to win games. And I, I they're once again on that list of teams that until they bottom out for more than for, for two, three years in a row, I refuse to just say that they're going to just tank a season. All right. Anything else, Nick? Are we wrapping it up here? Well, so I'm trying to think like, okay, is there a, is there a Tulane? Is there uh, a Troy? You know, cause there, there are some, there are some pretty interesting stories last year among those, you know, really exceeded expectations. And, and there are probably some, some things that uh, could have alert. I think did alert. We didn't expect, 
uh, Tulane to be anywhere you know near as bad as as the record indicated in in 2021. So we'll we'll have plenty of time to to dig into all of these. But um, you know, Duke is the example. I bet that Stanford team can uh, certainly has drawn you know some inspiration from what Duke did. Seems like a very very similar situation. You know, high academic standards coming off of a tough year. Uh, low in returning production, uh, expectations, you know, have really bottomed out, but there's sort of, there's a blueprint out there, right? I mean, you can turn around really quick and, and be super competitive and, and even a really, really good team. So um, it, it's, you know, I, I could talk myself into uh, a lot of teams, but I think this, this particular set of teams that we saw last year, that really exceeded expectations and, and uh, some of which, you know, some of them who did it despite um, some really negative signals um, show us that, that, you know, there will be some teams this year that, that nobody sees coming and, and despite all the odds um, exceed. And then some teams, you know, on the other end of, of the spectrum, I'm sure that, that look like, uh, they have really built themselves up into a contender and, and just fall short. This is what you show your kids when the projections start to come out and they only project you to win three games or two games or whatever. Uh, this is what you show the kids. So uh, get them fired up here. And we're getting to that point in the season. Uh, but that is going to wrap it up for us today. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. We will be back next week. We will see you guys then. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.